Alright guys, welcome to today's episode of the Locked On SEC Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Blake Lovell, and on today's episode of the podcast, uh, we uh, jump into Tuesday night's action around the league uh, before previewing the four games on Wednesday slate, but we do start with Tuesday's games, and uh, it was uh, Auburn picking up a victory against Ole Miss, 67-58 at Auburn Arena. Isaac Okoro's return uh, was the big story here. Uh, back in the starting lineup, he scored 10 points. Uh, he had an assist, and uh, he played 27 minutes. So uh, not exactly easing him back into the lineup. Uh, so that would probably tell you uh, that they feel like you know he's ready to go, and he's ready to uh, sort of get back into the flow of playing a lot of minutes. And um, you know he did have four fouls here, but um, it's one where I think you know it's clear that that they seemingly feel like that that he's ready uh, to be back to where he. Was was and um, you know I know some people a little worried maybe that they're trying to rush him back and all that but uh, it just doesn't seem to be the case here Uh, I don't think they would put him out there uh, if they didn't think he was ready and like we saw I mean he made contributions uh, in the 27 minutes that he played in this game Uh, overall I thought this was one you know Auburn defensively Ole Miss shot just 34 percent Brian Tyree did have 17 points but uh, as we noted in that first meeting between the two teams, uh, he did struggle from the floor. Uh, He went just 3 of 19 in this game uh, from the floor, you know, got pretty much half of his points uh, from the free throw line. So that was an impressive effort, I think, for Auburn to be able to slow someone like that down, uh, be able to to play the kind of defense they did against him. Uh, Very important and very key to a victory for the Tigers. Uh, And I think overall, you know, when you look at this game, um, you know, Auburn really attacked early, and that's something we said. You know, when the three's not falling, Auburn's got to be able to attack in the paint, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, 20 of their 31 first-half points came in the paint. Uh, I thought the same guys that we've been talking about the past couple games here, uh, you know, Devin Cambridge, he he made a big impact in the 16 minutes that he played. He had eight points, made two threes. Uh, Jalen Williams had six points in 13 minutes. He added three rebounds, uh, I, and that's what I said on Twitter. You know, I think one of the things that Bruce Pearl does not get enough credit for is his player development and really just how seemingly year after year he has guys that just, you know, they step in, they play their role, and they're able to make contributions within the system of play. And I think that's something that he just doesn't get enough credit for in terms of how he's able to do that year after year because a lot of the players on his team over the years, you just look at it, you know, the majority of these guys simply get better. And I think that's what we're seeing uh, with some of these guys on Auburn's roster right now. And that's what sort of makes a well-rounded team. And we're seeing that, you know, it's not just a starting lineup. It's not just six guys or something like that. It's it's getting production from all of your guys that, that are in your rotation. I think we're seeing that from Auburn. Uh, so that's very impressive. And again, I think that goes back to, to Bruce Pearl's ability to sort of recognize guys that are going to fit into how they want to play. And then once you get those guys, uh, it's being able to match their strengths to to how you play. And we're seeing that with all these guys, I think. Um, And that's what makes it impressive. But uh, another win for the Tigers. And now get ready uh, for a big showdown in Lexington on Saturday against Kentucky. And speaking of Kentucky, the Wildcats uh, go on the road and pick up a, a really nice win of their own. And as we said, this was not going to be an easy game for Kentucky 
And it certainly wasn't. Uh, they do get the 69-60 victory at Texas A&M. Um, but uh, it was not exactly an, another one where you look at Kentucky. You know, teams are, are going to give Kentucky their best shot. And we saw that here again, I think, in this game when you looked at it. A&M, Kentucky tried to pull away a few times, but, but A&M sort of wouldn't necessarily allow it uh, and, and were able to kind of make a run down the stretch to, to get it to nine. And the biggest storyline here for Kentucky was no doubt once again and we've said this seemingly game after game for a while now was Emmanuel quickly he scores a career high 30 points coming off of a previous career high he scores a career high 30 points in this game he goes 11 of 19 from the field 8 of 12 from three-point range and he adds five rebounds and two assists in 37 minutes of play um, I said it on Twitter after the game. We've we've talked about this theme on recent episodes of the podcast. I just I think you can at this point you can make the case that Emmanuel quickly is the SEC Player of the Year um, when you look at what he's done, all of these scoring performances he's had, but not just that. The way he's turned it on here down the stretch to allow his team a really good opportunity to lock up a a regular season title in the SEC. And the Wildcats are going to have the chance to do that. And he's been the big reason why. And I know you could, you know, look around at everyone else that's made key contributions for this team. You know, Nick Richards at one point was probably the clear front runner for a lot of people. But I just, you know, and look, either way, it doesn't matter. Kentucky, uh, again, going to have a really good chance to win the regular season title. And I think if if either player wins it, uh, you know, Kentucky will support either player. And I think Kentucky fans will as well. Uh, But we just watch how quickly he's played. I just, I don't know how you go against this guy right now. Uh, Just fantastic. And to see his game develop the way that it has, it's been so impressive. And I, I said this too, and I added, you know, not just to quickly's play, but Kentucky's play overall. Kentucky goes 11 of 22 in this game from three-point range. They shot 52% from the floor, but they shoot 50% from three-point range. And once again, it goes back to that trend we talked about. Look how much better they are from three-point range when they are away from Rupp Arena. Uh, It's incredible to look at because uh, you just don't see that very often. A team that shoots the ball so much better from beyond the arc when they're not playing at Rupp Arena and it's just uh it's one of those weird sort of stats uh, but it's something to keep in mind because you know tournaments aren't going to be played at Rupp Arena uh, unless Kentucky's in the NIT and Kentucky's not going to be in the NIT so they're going to be playing uh games outside of Rupp Arena in tournament settings and seeing the numbers I mean you you have to be a little worried if you're an opponent that matches up with Kentucky thinking okay we're going to be able to play them zone. Uh, we're going to be able to force them to shoot from outside. Well, if you just look at their stats, clearly they have no fear on the road because they're just making these threes at a much better rate. And that's got to be something uh, you look at if you're an opponent and wonder, well, how do we guard these guys in that scenario? Not going to be easy to do. And I think Texas A&M ran into that here. It's where, you know, Kentucky did have 17 turnovers. Um, but overall, I just... I don't know how you guard them when Emmanuel quickly is playing like that, when they're making threes like that, which you have to remember in this one, quickly did make eight of their 11. Uh, but any way you slice it, if Kentucky's shooting that way as a team, no matter whether it's one guy or multiple guys, um, stopping them is going to be a challenge. And if they keep playing the way they have now, I've said it, a lot of people have asked it, uh, you can legitimately make the case that Kentucky uh, is a potential Final Four team. Uh, they've been that good here recently, aside from you know a couple of these stretches late in games where maybe they haven't been able to close it out in 
in a convincing double-digit type of win. Uh, but any way you look at it, uh, a very, very convincing performance from Kentucky here, certainly from, from Emmanuel Quickly, and it was not going to be easy to get that win on the road uh, you know, at Texas A&M, uh, but they managed to do it and now get ready for that matchup uh, against Auburn on Saturday. And for the bubble matchup in Starkville, it was Mississippi State picking up an 80-73 to victory against Alabama. Um, you know, this game changed uh, certainly a little early on whenever John Petty went out with the injury, and it was a, a scary-looking injury uh, to his arm. Uh, I know he ultimately came back out on the bench, but uh, it was a certainly an injury that did not look good and, um, you know, didn't return to the game, of course. Uh, and Alabama really, you know, give Alabama credit. I mean, they kept it to two at half um, and thought, you know, for the most part, they did what they could. And But yet John Petty is someone – I think that really hasn't, you know, he's gotten a lot of credit for his offense, but as you've seen people mention this season, uh, he's become a much better defender too, and not having him on the court, uh, you know, still a guy that has good size and the ability to rebound, uh, I thought that played a role here too, and overall, you know, the rebounding battle ended up being even, Uh, both teams had 37 apiece, and actually Alabama, uh, surprisingly, you know, had doubled uh, Mississippi State's offensive rebounding total, Alabama had 17, Mississippi State only had 8, so you still have to give Alabama credit for that, but uh, this was another one where Mississippi State sort of you know, took it to the paint early, and that's something we said that you thought they had to do. They had 26 points in the first half in the paint. Uh, they ultimately ended up uh, with 42, I think, in there. And so uh, it just, you know, it's one of those deals where you don't want to sit here and say, you know, play the what-if game and all that because you do have to give the Bulldogs credit. I mean, look, they they made the plays, and Reggie Perry, another double-double for him, 21 points and 12 rebounds. Uh, Tyson Carter added 19, and that goes back to what we said with Mississippi State. You've got several guys that, that can just go off for big double-digit scoring performances uh, you know, to lead you, and that's what we're seeing with guys like that. That's why I think Mississippi State's a team uh, that could be, you know, make a sneaky good run if they get to the NCAA tournaments because they they sort of have the overall makeup of a team uh, that can win games in a tournament scenario. Uh, but for Alabama, you know, Kyra Lewis finishes with 29. Uh, Jaden Shackelford almost had a double-double. He had 17 points, 9 rebounds. Uh, but like we said, it's just I think it's hard to look at a game like this. You know, Petty had 8 points in 9 minutes. And, you know, think about that. I mean, he had really gotten off to a good start in this game. Uh, but it's not just the offense. It's what he adds on defense, too. And I think that's something, uh, and, you know, that the defense, the rebounding, those are elements that he probably could have made it a difference in a game like this. Uh, and so, you know, certainly the, the biggest thing moving forward, of course, is his injury status. And, and you know, you never want to see a player go down with an injury like that. And, and you know, as I'm saying right now, as I'm recording this, we don't know the extent of the injury. Um, but uh, hopefully something, you know, he's able to come back from this season. Uh, it didn't look great, but, uh, you know, I'm you never know. And I think it's one of those where uh, we'll find out, um, you know, how what the extent is of an injury like that. But uh, you do. He's had such a good season and really has improved the game so much on both sides that you hate to see it and you know Herbert Jones uh you know also someone who in this game we know the injuries that that he's been battling uh he played 23 minutes uh, didn't score he had four rebounds uh he did foul out and so 
It was a must-win game for both teams. Uh, as Joe already said going in, that the winner would stay on the NCAA tournament bubble. Uh, the loser would, would play its way off of the bubble. So now for Alabama, I think it becomes pretty clear uh, they're going to have to make a run in the SEC tournament because both of these teams really just don't have enough quality win opportunities left in the regular season. South Carolina is going to be the best opponent remaining uh, for both of these teams in the regular season. And so uh, it was a must-win you know, for both. Mississippi State gets the win. They'll stay on the bowl for now. They're not in the tournament. Uh, I think they're probably still going to stay on that first four in first four out type of line uh but for alabama they fall off the bubble and likely going to need a run in the sec tournament uh, to have a chance to make it to the ncaa tournament but as we always say you never know because when you're on the bubble uh sometimes it's also about what everyone else does so uh if you're alabama and you're mississippi state uh, you want to see a lot of these other bubble teams keep losing because uh, then you'll have a better opportunity uh to maybe play your way into the ncaa tournament but uh coming up uh we will We'll uh, look ahead to Wednesday night's action. Uh, several intriguing matchups on the schedule, and we'll get into those uh, coming up here on the Locked On SEC Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And we look at Wednesday's games in SEC basketball. We start uh, with Georgia hitting the road again to take on South Carolina. The Bulldogs hoping this game goes a little bit better than the first meeting between these two a couple weeks ago in Athens. Uh, South Carolina won that game by 16 points, and it really never felt that close. For the most part, I think South Carolina led at one point 27-5. I want to say that was with seven or eight minutes left in the first half. So uh, the Gamecocks completely dominated it uh, from the start, and Georgia was just never able to get back into it and make it even you know close to having a chance to win that game. The Bulldogs did have 19 turnovers. They made just three of 24 from three-point range. So those two areas, which we focused on a lot with them, um, you know, two weaknesses they still have from last year, they were very evident uh, in a game like that against South Carolina. And so when you look ahead at this matchup, uh, the rematch between these two, South Carolina is good at forcing turnovers and defending the three, and we saw that in that first meeting. Um, you know, So they're able to really, if they want to push Georgia into doing things they don't want to do, uh, they're able to do that because you know the stats kind of show that the Gamecocks uh, do a really good job in both of those areas, which are two areas that Georgia has struggled with. So uh, if that's a repeat performance from Georgia in this one, uh, they're going to struggle to win this game. Uh, and that's where Georgia has to you know sort of attack, try to get their points, uh, inside of the perimeter uh, because they do rank 21st nationally in two-point percentage. Uh, that's sort of a stat maybe a little uh, undervalued with this Georgia team, but they, they do pre- a pretty good job of being able to score efficiently uh, inside the arc, which they have to because they're not a great three-point shooting team. Uh, however, you know, another thing where, you know, look back at that first game, Georgia only scored 59 points, period. Uh, the Gamecocks do rank 38th nationally in two-point defense. So even as good and efficient as Georgia's been uh, from that spot, you know, on the floor in that area, um, you know, it's South Carolina's been almost just as good in terms of defending it. So uh, that does present some challenges here for Georgia, especially going on the road. I know we saw them win that game at Vanderbilt, uh, but I think a lot of people who probably watched that game uh, looked at it and thought Vanderbilt really should have won. And Tyree Crump's shot at the buzzer was huge and certainly gave uh, the Bulldogs a really nice victory that they needed uh, to get some confidence back. But at the same time, this team has still struggled on the road. And uh, this is one where it almost, when you look at just the matchup from a a stats perspective, uh, it's almost one that just doesn't feel like a great matchup for Georgia here because South Carolina can do so many things uh, to probably, you know, force Georgia 
into playing a way that they don't want to play. You know, they can force them into making mistakes. They can force them into uh, maybe taking too many three-pointers, an area that they're not really good at. In South Carolina, also has a size advantage. That could be the difference in terms of rebounding. Uh, I could see this, you know, being a spot where South Carolina gets some some opportunities off the, the second chance points. So I'm going to pick South Carolina 82, Georgia 71 here. Like I said, I just don't feel like this is a setup that, that feels that great for Georgia based on it being a road game, based on where they struggled in that first game uh, between the two teams, which, again, hasn't been that long ago. Uh, so it does feel like the Gamecocks uh, in a nice spot to get back on track after losing that game uh, to LSU uh, last Saturday. Uh, Another matchup, Tennessee heads to Arkansas, and this was another game that really wasn't very close uh, between uh, the two teams in the first meeting. Uh, Also came uh, a couple weeks ago. Tennessee won that game by 21 in Knoxville. Of course, the biggest uh, storyline in that one, uh, no Isaiah Joe uh, for Arkansas, so that made a difference, and I think that's one where you look at it now and you try to say, okay, well, what can you really take away from that first game knowing that he wasn't on the court? And that's why it's, you know, hard to really look back at that game and, you know, come into this one saying, well, because Tennessee dominated the first one, they have a good chance to dominate this one. Uh, Clearly, Isaiah Joe uh, makes this team better, and we saw that against Missouri. Uh, Tennessee did have five players in double figures in that, that previous game, so that's something, at least for a Tennessee team, as we've seen, that it struggled on offense and sort of hit that stretch against Auburn uh, after getting a 17-point lead where they just couldn't find enough offense. Getting that balance is always important, and I know we keep going back to that as a common theme here for some of these teams, but uh, you know, getting that balance, you can't just focus in. If you're a defense, you can't just focus in on a couple guys if you have that many different guys contributing uh, in the scoring department. And so Tennessee would love to see that uh, here and be able to rely on different guys, you know, because scoring has been an issue. And and that's something that you're going up against a team here that really, you know, the entire season, I guess, when they've had Isaiah Joe on the court, Arkansas has been a really good defensive team. They're still the number one team in the country in terms of defending the three. Uh, They're still in the top 30 in defensive efficiency. Uh, They're still in the top 25 in turnover percentage defense. So, Arkansas does a lot of good things on defense, and I think that can be sort of intimidating now for a Tennessee team that that is dealing with some some confidence issues on offense. Um, And when you look back at that first game, there were a lot of free throws. That's a common theme in the SEC. There were 66 free throws attempted in that first game. Arkansas shot just 30.3% from inside the arc. So that's something that's going to have to be better here uh, for the Hogs as well if they want to try to win. And again, you know, this could be a game where we see both teams uh, try to get a lot of their points around the rim and not really shooting a lot of threes. Uh, I know Arkansas hit a lot against uh, Missouri and that that big win for them. Um, But uh, this is still one where you would expect both teams uh, to, to make it sort of a a physical type of game, uh, trying to get to the paint, score at the rim. And so that could lead to more free throws. And that's where I say when we had the SEC officiating conversation, um, that's where you can justify, you know, some of you can understand maybe why there are a lot of free throws uh, when you have teams, you know, like this, where maybe we don't see a ton of three-pointers shot from these two because they do get a large percentage of their points uh, from the free-throw line and not necessarily uh, from outside, uh, probably Arkansas more so than Tennessee. Uh, But uh, this is an intriguing matchup from from that perspective just to see – you know, how Tennessee's offense is able to regroup 
and going up against a team that when healthy and when having Isaiah Joe on the court, uh, not just a better offensive team, but but seemingly a better defensive team as well. Uh, you have to think that Arkansas is going to have some revenge on its mind here. And, uh, you know, going back to it, I, I just think this team plays better uh, with Isaiah Joe and knowing that even as well as Tennessee played for a good stretch of that game at Auburn, I'm just not sure what to expect from them on the offensive side of the court uh, in this game. So I'm going to pick Arkansas 70, Tennessee 65. Should be a close game. Uh, Would not expect it to be another 21-point type of game like it was in the previous meeting in Knoxville. Uh, But uh, the Razorbacks still in must-win mode if they want to get into the NCAA tournament. And knowing the stakes here, uh, I think it's it's a decent matchup at least uh, because you you know you don't have Tennessee coming in uh, on a complete high in terms of how they're playing from an offensive standpoint. Uh, so uh, I will side with the Razorbacks here uh, to get a another win, and this one is just the next one in, in a long line of them that Arkansas essentially has to win uh, to try to play their way into the NCAA tournament. Um, so uh, big game uh, for both teams, really. I mean, Tennessee could still find its way into the mix, uh, but just like Arkansas, going to have to do a lot of work here down the stretch. Uh, so we'll see what happens, but uh, I will pick Arkansas in this game. Uh, but coming up, uh, two improved teams are going to square off in Nashville with uh, Missouri uh, taking on Vanderbilt, plus uh, Florida and LSU both trying to improve their NCAA tournament seeding, and uh, whoever wins the game in Gainesville probably going to have a really good chance to do that. So we'll talk about that coming up uh, here on the Locked On SEC Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Missouri will head to Vanderbilt, and um, uh, we the road woes have been something we've mentioned for a lot of SEC teams, uh, but for Missouri specifically, when you look at the numbers, it hasn't been great. Uh, seven of their last eight road losses uh, have come by double digits, uh, coming off the 10-point loss at Arkansas, um, you know, in a game that, that felt close. I mean, that wasn't exactly what you would call a blowout loss by, by any means, but uh, still the numbers show that uh, Missouri just hasn't played well on the road. Uh, aside from really that game at LSU that they had a chance to win, uh, all the others uh, have not necessarily been very close. Um, and so how, how does Missouri play on the road? And also how does Vanderbilt respond from that buzzer beater loss to Georgia? I mean, that is was as deflating of a loss as it gets uh, when you have an opportunity to win the game like they did, miss some free throws. Uh, we mentioned, you know, had some calls not go in their favor. And uh, just the way that that final sequence played out in that particular game, uh, the Commodores, a very deflating loss for a team that really is trying to find anything it can get in terms of building confidence, but still only has that win against LSU uh, to its credit in uh, SEC play. So how does that unfold for the Commodores? And the problem, I think, for Vanderbilt is that uh, you want to talk about bad luck. I think now, you look at this game, uh, they could also sort of catch some bad luck based on the fact that Missouri seemingly could have two very impactful players returning to the lineup. And I think you could even argue that it's two of their top three players uh, in terms of Jeremiah Tillman. Conzo Martin said this week uh, that he does expect uh, Jeremiah Tillman to make his return. And when you look at it, you know, Tillman, who came in as a potential all-SEC type of player this year, um, he's really only played about a half in terms of minutes in SEC play. Uh, He's only played in two games total. And you combine all his minutes, he's basically played a half. And so that's something to think about. With this team improving as well as it has, 
it's been pretty remarkable that Missouri has come this far even without two of its better players, and that leads us to Mark Smith, who also, uh, Conzo Martin mentioned, you know, he had practiced. Uh, if he came along the way he was coming along in practice, you know, maybe a good chance he could also return in this game. And uh, when you look at Mark Smith, uh, he's missed the last seven games. So you combine all that together, and really it's pretty impressive how good Missouri has been at times, even without arguably two of its top three best players on the floor. So um, you have to sort of give Conzo Martin and his staff credit for that, and really this entire team for stepping up. And we've seen someone like Xavier Pinson, who we've talked about, has really stepped up his game. Um, you know, and, and so I think it's it's one where if Missouri gets these two guys back on the floor, you add to a lineup that's already feeling pretty good about itself, aside from that loss at Arkansas, which, again, I don't think Missouri necessarily played awful in that game at Arkansas. I just think you you found a team that was in a must-win situation, and, uh, you know, it, it's SEC play, and you, you're going to lose some of those games. Uh, but getting those two back would be huge here, and I think that's one for Vanderbilt where – you know, it's like you want to try to catch a break, but, um, you know, Missouri, probably a better team when Jeremiah Tillman and Mark Smith are on the court together. Um, so we'll see if that does happen. But, you know, even if they don't play, if for some reason both of those guys were to not play in this game, uh, you still probably feel pretty good about where Missouri's at. But getting them back would be a, a big boost no matter what, uh, just based on what they're able to contribute. And with the Commodores, you know, Saban Lee coming off of just a, a fantastic performance against Georgia. Uh, he has just continued to improve as a player. And having these other guys step up too, I mentioned Scotty Pippen Jr. I know he missed the free throws, but thought he played really well in that game against Georgia. You're seeing this young group for Vanderbilt really come along, and I think that's what you have to be optimistic about if you're a Vanderbilt fan. Uh, seeing what Jerry Stackhouse and his staff have been able to do in terms of player development thus far, uh, I've really liked what, what I've seen from them, and they have come a long way uh, as well since playing that first game without Aaron Neesmith. Uh, you know, he was out with the injury, and they just they couldn't do anything right away without him, but that's understandable. You know, it takes time to adjust when you lose a player like that who was among the top scorers in the entire country, uh, but they've come a long way since then and you've seen guys step into different roles uh this should be a good game this is another one that i think probably should be a pretty good game uh i'm going to pick missouri 64 vanderbilt 62 Uh, i do think it probably winds up being a close game maybe a, a lower scoring type of game uh, really hard to know probably what you're going to get from both of these teams uh, in this particular spot. And I think more so not knowing exactly how many minutes Tillman could play, how many minutes Mark Smith could play. Um, you know, there, there's lots of different scenarios there. And I think it makes it a little harder uh, to predict a game like this because uh, if they're back on the floor, you know, how effective are they right away? Uh, does it impact anything Missouri's been doing well? You know, we, we say that sometimes uh, when you have lineup changes, when you have guys coming back, that's not to say that these guys are going to make this team worse by any means. Uh, they're very talented and they're going to make this team better. But, uh, you know, how do you adjust for, from a rotation standpoint? Because you move guys around uh, and all that. You know, does that have any impact right away? Could it take a little bit uh, to get everyone back on the same page? You, you often wonder about that sometimes uh, in terms of chemistry. But overall, I think Missouri has a good chance, uh, despite the struggles on the road, to win this game uh, and will definitely get a big boost if they get both of those guys uh, back in the lineup. 
And LSU uh, heads to Gainesville to take on the Florida Gators. Uh, great game the first time these two played, which uh, it was about a month ago or so now, I think. Um, so it's been a while since they played, but they had a really good game in Baton Rouge. It was a game that, you know, Florida had its opportunities to win. A uh, very close game, but uh, LSU ultimately pulled it out. I think at that point uh, may have moved to 6-0 and or something in league play, but that was when LSU really hitting its stride. Uh, LSU did get the bounce back win at South Carolina, which was very important as we talked about uh, on Monday's episode. Uh, It was one that they had to have and and to maybe try to get a little bit more confidence after really just not playing well the past several weeks. Um, So big win there and now get to, you know, try to keep their momentum going on the road, which is uh, easier said than done. Uh, In that first meeting, both teams shot over 57% from two-point range, uh, Florida actually shot 64.5%. Uh, they made 20 of 31 from two-point range. So uh, that's something, too. And we go back to, to LSU's defense. That's going to be something that plays a big role here. If Florida can can take advantage of those opportunities in the paint uh, and score that easily, sort of like they did in the previous game from a percentage standpoint, um, you've got to feel really good about where Florida's at in this one because uh, LSU's defense is going to be the theme that we continually bring up with this team. Um, and, you know, it's it's once too where the stats sort of don't lie. They've given up, uh, you know, 80 or more points now in four straight road games. And so, you would expect uh, that st- tends to look at Florida and say, well, you're going to have opportunities to score points. It's just a matter of do you take advantage of it? And, you know, you look back at that first meeting uh, from LSU's side of it in terms of scoring, uh, they only had six players that scored, but yet all of them were in double figures. So that's nice balance uh, to have if you're Will Wade in that scenario. But, uh, you know, it's going to be harder, I think, to, to score on the road here against a Florida team that, as we've seen, I mean, this, this is probably isn't Mike White's best defensive team he's had there uh, but yet they're, they're still capable of making things hard on opponents and I think we saw that a bit in that game against Kentucky um, and now you know this is one where I think for the Tigers knowing that Florida you know is a team that has played much better defense at home here recently probably going to be hard to score against them and so I think for LSU it's the same thing it's can you get you know, extra scoring opportunities off of offensive rebounds because LSU is such a good offensive rebounding team. And um, if they're able to do that, you know, that that gives you a much better chance to come out victorious uh, in this game. But uh, the Gators have looked so much better, I think, in these past four games that they look like a team that is understanding what they need to do and playing to their strengths in terms of winning games. And I don't know that they were necessarily doing that a lot uh, during those stretches where they were so inconsistent. Uh, But now it seems like they realize what their strengths are. They're not just trying to, you know, go back to their weaknesses time and time again and say, all right, we're just going to play our way out of some of these weaknesses. Instead, I think they're going to their strengths, and that's what you got to do uh, at this point in the season is just play to your strengths, and Florida's been able to do that. Um, so lots of lots of scoring potential, I think, on both sides here, knowing where the Tigers are at defensively, uh, knowing how good that, that Florida can be on offense, but also knowing that when LSU wants to be, LSU can be a really, really dominant scoring team, and we've seen that when you look at their numbers, how efficient they've been on you know on offense and so uh, this is a good setup I think in terms of an entertaining basketball game and I'm going to go with Florida 79 LSU 75 Uh, so the Gators not quite maybe keeping up that trend of LSU allowing uh, 80 or more points in their past four road games but 
probably have a chance to come pretty close. But uh, this is another one, too. I, I think, you know, we know where we're at with these two teams. Uh, both of them have a chance. They're right on that 8-9 seed range in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think the winner, you know, certainly has a chance to, to have an opportunity to move up a, a seed line probably. Um, I don't know how much it hurts the loser based on the fact that these are two projected NCAA tournament teams. Uh, you don't want to really fall. I mean, if you're Florida, you don't want to fall down to that 10 seed line. Uh, you know, if LSU, uh, you know, what's the difference between eight and a nine? There's not a whole lot when you think about it. Uh, so uh, it's one that's going to, to mean something for both teams in terms of getting a victory. And uh, we'll see uh, kind of how it unfolds there but should be a really good game uh, between two of the top four teams in the SEC but uh, that'll wrap up uh, this episode of the Locked On SEC podcast uh, coming up on the next episode uh, we will recap Wednesday's action uh, look more at the NCAA tournament situation uh, as it pertains to uh, the SEC teams and who could get in uh, who may not get in uh, in the bubble situation and all that plus uh, coming up later this week uh, right now have a scheduled interview uh, with an SEC uh, head coach and uh, look forward to catching up with him and talking about uh, where his team's at uh, entering a big game on Saturday. But uh, as always, be sure to subscribe. Uh, head over to any podcast app you use. Just search for Locked on SEC. And uh, be sure, again, if you enjoy the podcast, leave a nice five-star rating or review. only takes a few seconds, and it uh, helps the show reach more people here as we head into uh, the madness of March and then get ready uh, for lots of football talk and some baseball as well once we uh, head into uh, April and be sure to follow me on Twitter for everything else at the Blake Level. And uh, I'll talk to you guys next time here on the Locked On SEC Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.